Welcome back to the Boaters Podcast. I, thought, I believe this is episode two, isn't it? This is the second episode. <laughs> All right. How's it going, Aaron? It's going phenomenal. That's that's good. I'm surprised that uh, we had so many people talking about that free boat. What's so many people? Um, I don't know how to put a number on it, but there's actually quite there a were, few. There, there were there were a few. There were a few people interested. There's actually quite a few emails that we got. I got we got more emails than I thought we would get. Mm-hmm. And there's a ton of comments, but obviously some people, I think we might've made it a little confusing as like, it's a contest, like contest or something where it's not, it's whoever comes and takes this boat can have it. It has a free clean title. Well, I mean, it's not like we're giving out our address. So I guess it is kind of a contest. You kind of have to get chosen. Oh yeah. That's, yeah. that's true. Yeah. You know, not necessarily a, Contest like a raffle, but you know, just see one and mm-hmm. oh, well, he looks like he's interested and he's close by. Mm-hmm. Come on and get it. Yep, there is one person I'm waiting to answer back on the email. He was the first person to ask for it, and so um, I told him he could have it. It unfortunately does need a trailer, so that's going to take us some time to get swap the trailers out. You know. If you've ever seen videos of people trying to transfer a trailer in their yard, it's kind of a task of trimming it up, trimming it down, putting it on blocks, and bunking up the boat to get it off the trailer, and then sliding the trailer out and sliding a new trailer under it. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, no, it's it, it's going to be a first come first serve. Yeah, not really a contest. Just if you want it, you can have it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you can have this free boat. That's yeah. not so free. Free things are never free. No, they're not. They need a lot of work. And yeah, it's not the the greatest boat, but it's it's nice. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, there is a little bit of bubbling on the transom gel coat, but mm-hmm. where the bracket is, oh yeah, that goes on. It's solid. Yeah, where the Your bracket motor's not going to fall off. No, no, no. You're not going to ride this boat out for 20 years. No, you know, you're definitely going to have some problems. But like we said, if you got if you got a motor lying around, mm-hmm. this will be a good a good thing to just chuck it on there and get going. You know, for for cheap. Yep. Get get mm-hmm. floating for cheap. Yeah. I mean, it is a 40 year old boat, so it's going to have all the same 40 year old problems that a 40 year old mm-hmm. boat has, but. Yep. It'll get you floating. You can go fishing. Yeah. Um, other than that, we've got a ton of comments, too. I mean, there's a lot of stuff people want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard sifting through all of them. Mm-hmm. Picking a couple. Yeah, but, it is. Um, we got a few few put out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's the first one that we you got? Want to start? You want to start with, what are your thoughts on the ABYC standards? And how much do you try to abide by them? Well, I mean, I guess my thoughts would be the ABY standards are, or the ABYC standards are, you know, pretty common sense for most of them. It's not like I've sat down and read the book of, you know, the ABYC book. Is there a book? Is there like a book? Oh, yeah. How, how big is the book? I don't know. I don't um, think I've ever um, seen it. There's hundreds of pages <laughs> of literature that the ABYC has come out with. So 
to be, you know, fully versed in all that stuff is. So what all even is in the ABYC? Like, like how, how big of a range is it just every aspect of boating? Cause all I really ever get out of the ABYC is like wiring color codes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think most of it's pretty common sense. You know I mean? And once you kind of deal with so many boats, you kind of get, you know, used to the, the different standards of how boats are made and everybody kind of adheres to these same standards. So they become kind of common practice and knowledge. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean like wire colors and hoses and different routings of stuff. Um, those are the main things that people have to yeah. deal with. Like you said, the wire colors. I mean, that's the big one Yeah, for me. Yeah. Just cause it definitely makes it easier when diagnosing things. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not trying to chase down a wire, whereas instead you could just look and, oh, you know, the the blue wire is remote for the amp or the pink wire is the fuel sender wire. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to trace a wire. Right, you just right. see it and you got it. It makes diagnosing quicker, easier. Yeah, you know the system that that wire is, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with, whether yeah. that be a fuel sender or remote or you know if it's a yellow or black it's a ground if it's mm-hmm. red is power i mean if it's got a tracer it's been switched mm-hmm. um yeah. you know it's if it's a pump it's like brown for the most mm-hmm. part Bilge yeah pumps live wells they're mostly brown aren't they most of the bilge pumps are brown and yeah a lot of live wells mm-hmm. can be brown but that once you get into that, the pumps and the lights and stuff, then it gets more into a brand, you know, yeah, brand deal. Like different brands use different wires with tracers. Mm-hmm. So, and they and and a lot of brands now are building their own harnesses, like you know Boston Whaler and some of these other companies that they they actually make harnesses to go from the front to the back because it's a production line boat. They'll you know, have the harnesses built, they'll build boat the boat in a section and, you know, this section will get this harness put in there with a big plug on the end of it, you know, a little mm-hmm. Deutsch connector or whatever, a 14-pin round or 20-pin or whatever it is. Right. And that'll be in there so that when they assemble the boat, this section comes in with this section and boom, they got, you know, this harness got wired up in the dash and then this section was wired through the boat over here so when they put the two together, they just click it together and, Boom, and everything's wired up already. Yeah, it kind of... I, I don't like seeing those harnesses through rigging tubes as much because it makes it harder to pull a new wire. You know, some not mm-hmm. every boat is courteous enough. Not every person who's worked on a boat is courteous enough to leave a string oh, yeah. or a rope in the mm-hmm. rigging tube. So, you know, having to run a snake in there or even trying to modify that harness... It's just not, yeah, not fun when you could just pull a wire right through, you know. Yeah, like normal. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't. I mean, neither of us are ABYC certified, so I don't really. No, but we know. try to abide by them as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, they kind of set the industry standard, and you know, we we kind of adhere to mm-hmm. industry standards. <laughs> um, there was also question on oh what kind of pressure washer p 
PSI did did we have there? It was seventeen hundred, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was just an electric seventeen hundred PSI that pressure washer. Yeah, I'm not sure what brand it was. I mean, just a. They were asking what kind of pressure would cause damage. I don't know. Well, the the newer the boat, the more pressure you can have, and the older the boat. I mean, I guess it all depends more on the build quality of the boat, like the the gel coat and how old it is, how thick it is, um, how well it was put together. Older boats, obviously, the gel coat gets drier. Any voids in the, the glass or the gel coat, it'll start chipping. And you definitely don't want to be going up there with like three, four, five thousand 5,000 PSI of water because you're just going to blast a bunch of the gel coat and the non-skid and you're just going to chip it into pieces but i mean for the most part 1700 you can get pretty close and not you know blow anything out like if you hit an air pocket or something you're not gonna start chipping away at the gel coat what's the most you've ever used like have you have you ever caused damage to a boat with a pressure washer yeah um especially when you're doing bottom paint like cleaning Mm. the bottoms off if the boat sat for a long, long, long time in the water, and um, you know, most of the time you need a high pressure, three, four thousand psi to get some a lot of that growth off mm-hmm. the bottom of the boat. You know, once you pull, once the growth, you pull the boat out of the water. As soon as air hits that growth, that stuff turns rock solid, and you know, you almost got to scrape or sand it off. So hitting it with the pressure washer while it's still wet to get that stuff off the bottom. Usually, you know, we use a few thousand PSI, not like 5,000, but, right. you know, two, three, sometimes a four. And that can actually eat into the gel coat. That growth will eat into the gel coat. So as you blow it off, it'll, it'll, it'll chip. And then older boats, if it's real thin, some of the Parkers and Grady Whites and stuff, the, I've, I've seen those chip pretty around the water line where that growth line is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've, I've chipped some out. I mean, they're old. I've watched people get inside their boat and try to pressure wash stuff out and blow holes all through the inside of the boat. It's like, what are you doing? Like, it's unnecessary. <laughs> After the first one, you'd think like, ah, maybe I should. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should back off a little bit. Yeah. You know? We could go into stories of some of the most difficult problems that we've had to solve and how you solved them. I know you were working on what was it, a 37 CV mm-hmm. that had some kind of electrical issue with the NEMA? What was wrong with it? That one, yeah, this week we were actually on a CV working on a NEMA 2000 communication issue. Um, he kept getting a an autopilot error. It was losing the heading sensor. Right. And so the autopilot was throwing the heading sensor code on the MFD, the, you know, multifunction display or, you know, the display on the dash. And it ended up being um, two of the T fittings in the backbone had high resistance in them. And also there was an issue with the Seakeeper and um, resistance in that line. And that was throwing off the data communication between the autopilot and I mean, when you get a, a NEMA 2000, which is the network that all the components talk to all your electronics, your stereos, stuff like that, that they all talk to each other on the NEMA 2000 network. Mm-hmm. 
And as you put more devices on there, all these devices are sending data here, there, here, and there. And it's a like structured line of, you know, a terminator, which is 120 ohms and a terminator, which is another 120 ohms. And that kind of like is the network. So from this one to this one is basically your network. And in between there, anything can talk. So if you take this off here, this terminator and put it in the middle, it, it shortens that network to there. And it's kind of like a buffer at the end that kind of like filters out. And, you know, let's data know, okay, this is the end and this is the end. Mm -hmm. And um, when troubleshooting those NEMA 2000 networks, you basically are looking for that resistor. So the resistance is the data line. And then there's 12 volts that's on the backbone that powers it up. As long as you've got power on the backbone, then most of the time it's either high resistance or not enough resistance on the line for the things to talk to each other. So in diagnosing that one, all I did was check the resistor, made sure it was 120, and it was. And then I put that on the backbone, and I went from one device to the next all the way down the line checking for that 120 ohms. So I'd unplug something, check it. If I got the terminator, then I knew it was good. So I got through like eight different things, all the displays, the stereo, the VHA, all that stuff was all good. And when I got to another, like one of the T fittings, it jumped up to like 132. So it was, you know, way higher than right. 118, 119, 120, right around there where it normally is. And as very, which is very common on NEMA installations, people just zip tie the things to stuff and like these t's are supposed to be straight you know right. they're supposed to stay straight and just have drops off of them and stay like that well people zip tie them tight and they like bend like this and they're like this and so mm -hmm. these things were like bent up into the where they were mounted and two of them they're these cheap chinese t's that mm -hmm. just some off-brand t's they were both like adding like five seven ohms of resistance onto that data line. So whenever things were trying to talk because it was extra resistance, they couldn't talk to each other, which is making mm -hmm. the, so there was two bad T's. Yep. Okay. See, I thought, so what, what did the C keeper have to do with it? Well, then the C keeper added to that. So mm -hmm. you had those two that were bad. Whereas with, with those, I mean, cause you can have, a fluctuation of resistance to a point. I right. mean, the longer it goes, the worse it's going to get. The shorter it is, you can have a lot higher resistance because it's only going a short distance. Mm -hmm. There's not much voltage drop. But if you bring that out to, you know, 100, 150 feet, you're going to have a lot more voltage drop across that line than you would, you know, the short line. Mm -hmm. So... The bigger the network, the more it matters of having precise resistance Numbers. on that line. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it being tricky. I was only a part of, like, the beginning half of that job. And I remember it being tricky where, yeah, the autopilot computer wasn't communicating with the MFD. It, mm -hmm. kept, it kept losing the, the signal. And, um, and you call, you know, you call Garmin or anybody and... and They've got their own troubleshooting steps, assuming everything in the right. NEMA network is good. Mm -hmm. You know, so 
So, you know, you got to be careful with that. It could lead you down thinking mm-hmm. that something else entirely is, is bad. And when it's not costing a lot of money, cause you know, it's everything was leading to that computer. The, what's it? The CCU for the, for mm-hmm. the autopilot being bad. Yeah. Course compass or something mm-hmm. like that. Course compass unit or. And since his boat was steer by wire, that's a, that's a $2,500 mm-hmm. computer. That's, you know, that's, that's a big hit there. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, knowing about checking the resistances and everything on the NEMA network saved that guy from making a big expensive mistake. Because mm-hmm. if you would have followed regular troubleshooting guides, it would have told you 100% that computer's bad, you know. Replace it. Replace it, yeah. And really, it just ended up being two little T-connectors. What does a T-connector mm-hmm. cost? Like 10 bucks, 15 20 bucks, something, yeah. whatever. And I heard you had to put that Seakeeper on its own network, though you built like a, a separate backbone for it. Yeah, so we just added another backbone to get it off of there. Which I mean, really, it's that's not the true fix. No, but for now, you know, it is. It, it was what we had to do just so he could go out and use the boat and, and have everything work. Mm-hmm. So we just because of the resistance between the T's. Once I got the T's out of there, it like would work, and then it would like not work so it, it would be random so once i separated the sea keeper and put it on its own network then that you know it could deal with that resistance until he can you know deal right. with, deal with the sea keeper issue um you know right because what, what what do you think it was causing the resistance for the sea keeper is it the nema 2000 wire itself or does it even no it wasn't it, it wasn't it wasn't the nema 2000 wire because i tested that wire it was something in the the sea keeper harness but okay. that sea keeper is from 2018 and um is getting you know it's five years old which isn't that old but at the right. same time um the location where it was it probably out of warranty too so that's yeah, he's not, probably got warranty on it and i'm um, saying he's probably out of warranty five years old right no i don't know i don't know what the sea keeper's warranty is so basically that would have to get diagnosed and fixed yeah i think he's i think it's inside the harness to go back onto the old mm-hmm. network from where the sea keeper is talking to the network right in that harness that's inside the sea because you're supposed to be able to control the sea keeper from the garmin and yeah, and it's and got its own that. controller and too. All, yeah, so so it'll still work on a separate network. You know, it's got its own controller. Mm-hmm. But to reintegrate it, you gotta you gotta figure out what's causing that resistance and that get resistance. that resistance down because it's it was just bogging down the network. Mm-hmm. At least it got figured out because that guy was eager to take the boat out, and he was like, "Man, oh, yeah. I just you know I can't." This, this autopilot's throwing off the whole heading mm-hmm. and everything it's just not well every every two minutes he's getting a, an alarm going oh lost heading sensor lost heading sensor lost even when he wasn't yeah. even trying to use the autopilot it was just continually seeing it not seeing it seeing it not seeing it and it was just coming and going and coming and going mm-hmm. which can which can be hard to diagnose um when it's not happening all the time right. so I think, you know, going back to the question, that was just kind of an example of something that we've dealt with in the recent. But any kind of diagnostics, I think, you know, normally what you want to do is you want to isolate the problem. So, like, if you're working on an engine and you think you've got an engine problem, whereas you've got a boat problem, you want to separate your engine from the boat and 
you know, try and run the components individually. So you would de- separate your engine from the boat and try and run the engine by itself. Mm-hmm. And if everything works fine with the engine by itself, you know you got a boat issue. Yeah. Or vice versa. If you separate the engine from the boat and the engine's still messing up, it's an isolated problem with the engine. Yeah. Same thing with the, the with the um, electronics. If you think you got a problem with the autopilot, isolate the autopilot from all the other stuff that's in the boat and see if it works like it should when it's on its own deal. Right. And if it does, you know, it's in your network. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, most of those data, I mean, diagnosing a CAN bus is the same as it is with most of the brands where, yeah, I mean, CAN buses came out in like the seventies or eighties on cars. So it's not like it's new technology and it's pretty much the same. It's just a data line mm-hmm. and you just go from the end to the other end and test this, test this, test this, test this, and go one component at a time until you find the one that's, oh, you plug this in and everything goes haywire. Now you've isolated yeah. um, your issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Um, that actually reminds me of you brought up separating the boat from the engine. This guy has a question about his 2016 Suzuki 200 four-stroke and... Um, he says it runs fine up to 3000 but you know trying to go wide open it'll it'll bog and fall back down to like 2 to 3 he said my mechanic replaced the VST and still the same problem he then replaced the high pressure fuel pump it's still the same problem do you have any idea what might be causing the issue um <laughs> i think going straight for the VST was a you know a little jump in the gun there but yeah this is one of those where you should I think we have a video out on, yeah, we do on testing that you know separating the boat from the engine where you can you know run it on an auxiliary tank mm-hmm. and if it you know, that'd be the it, first thing you do right that'd be the easiest thing to do just carry a little red tank onto the boat and plug, plug it straight into the engine plug her in and and take it out if the engine runs fine with that then you know you know you've got some kind of either a, a restriction or a, a leak. Mm-hmm. somewhere in the boat you know it's not yep. you don't have an engine problem so the vst would have never it. fixed anything anyway. it's also kind of weird he said he so he said high pressure yeah isn't the high pressure pump in the vst yeah so so, so he replaced the vst and then went back and pulled the new vst off the boat and then replaced the high pressure pump inside the new vst i mean are, are we like reading that right a lot of money Oh yeah, chasing, <laughs> chasing the ghost, you know, because that's that's a very expensive component. And then, not to mention, most VSTs, you're going to spend a lot of time, you know, pulling the VST off, opening it all the way up, putting the new pump in there, and putting it up. But, but I, why would you replace the pull a VST off mm-hmm. and then yeah. put a new one on there, and then pull it back off and put a new pump inside the new? I mean. It doesn't really make any sense. No. Maybe we're missing some information or something. I don't know. But couldn't tell you about Yeah, I would try isolating the engine, put like you said, put it on an auxiliary tank mm-hmm. and run it and see, you know, with fuel going straight to the fuel filter on the engine so that way it's running on the auxiliary tank, you know, a six gallon tank yeah. that you've got properly vented and all that good stuff. 
and is and if it runs fine like that then it's not an engine problem it's a bow problem mm-hmm. and then at that point in time like you said you can take and put a piece of clear hose right at the engine and see yeah. if there's bubbles or if it if it's squeezing the prime bulb flat or you know what what it could be and then work back through each fuel hose all the way back to the pickup and pull the pickup out of the tank and mm-hmm. you know unless he doesn't have a fuel problem and maybe you know some engines yeah. the trim sensor will limit it but i don't know 2016 i don't know if the 2016 suzuki i don't know if they limit rpm on like a bad trim sensor or something if yeah it's like not, an electrical issue i'm not super familiar with everything suzuki but a lot of the mercury's like i think i did run into a problem with the 150 merc that mm-hmm. the trim sensor was always it, you know it was reading too high it was stuck or something and mm-hmm. and it would limit the engine anytime you try to go wide open it'd cut you back because mm-hmm. it thinks you're trimmed out of the water there's a lot of different yeah there's a, you know it's something that you can give as much advice as you want over you know the phone or the internet but it's, yeah you'd have to be there looking at each individual thing because it could even be ignition i think mm-hmm. right yeah there's there's all kinds of like little little like tells mm-hmm. that that you don't get when you're just talking with someone whereas like when you're looking at something you could see yeah a physical like sign of something like oh you know look at that dust or that dirt or that you know mm-hmm. um the video that we got coming out next about those hpdis the one spark plug that was completely white you know yeah. um mm-hmm. you know those are little little things that yeah, that was a similar kind of thing. He was saying that it, you know, it runs okay for the first little bit, and then as he tried to go out, he could tell that he was like either down a cylinder mm-hmm. or something. I don't remember how he was describing it, but he was down a cylinder. It wasn't, it wasn't sparking at all. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it could be it could be a multitude of things when it comes to running right. issues like that. But you know, just starting with starting with basic things first. You know, don't just for your sake, don't start spending all that money on Mm-mm. on a VST thinking it'll fix it because it's a common fix. You know, don't it's not worth throwing parts at it. Go through step by step and diagnose the system. Yeah, you know, especially when you're talking about very expensive components like a like an entire VST. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. Yeah, that can get pretty expensive. Yeah, I've I've seen it happen. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen. Uh, there was that one rental boat. When we were down in the marina, mm-hmm. replaced the the VSTs on Mercury V8s, no less. Which yeah, are, those FSMs, which are not or the FSMs, yeah, Mercury, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, replace the FSMs, and those are not easy to replace. You got to take the boat out of the water to yeah get the chaps and do all that on those V8s, and it ended up being the engine fuel filter, the was, boat fuel filters, yeah. No, it was the 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 ones on the oh, corner. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, you're the right. The ones on the right. corner in the back there, they were clogged. Yep. And he spent. I mean, how much is an FSM for a V8? It's it's not cheap. Thousand bucks. Or yeah, something. like like a grand. I want to say twelve hundred. I, I thought they were pretty expensive. It's, mm-hmm. So you're at twenty four hundred bucks right there. Not to mention having to pull the boat out of the water. And, yep. And you know it's a rental boat, so you're not getting. <laughs> yeah. Pull it out on the trailer. So all the time there's a couple hours there to get it to the ramp, get it on the trailer, get it back to the house, put mm-hmm. the chaps. You're probably three hours an engine. Yeah. Plus all the clamps and stuff. So you're you know mm-hmm. a day, day and a half on this. It's <laughs> it ain't worth it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just just start throwing expensive parts at something. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. What else do you want to? What's the next one? About? I think we've got one on. Well, another one with some kind of diagnosis. This guy said he's got a pleasure craft marine motor inboard 302 Ford. I uh, said got a new raw water pump, new risers, but the left side riser would run hot. Nobody could figure it out. I actually don't know a whole lot about inboards, but you, I think you do. I think you, mm, I don't know that much about them, but, um, he said there's one, one side's running hot, like one riser. Yeah. He said he's got a new water pump, new risers, but the left side riser runs hot. Nobody can figure it out. Hmm. Well, um, did you hit ground? Yeah, I mean, if, if they got, or dirt daubers or something like that got up in there and, yeah, if you sucked up a bunch of sand or some dirt or got, you know, something in there, um, if one side is running hot and then the other side, I mean, and we're sure, are we sure it's the riser and not the actual head of the engine, like the, that side of the engine's getting hot? I mean, there could be... Um, sand or dirt or something packed up into the head of that um that side of the engine right where it's not cooling the cylinders properly you know your water passages inside the cylinder head um or even around the block or that just that side of the engine maybe there's some dirt or some sand stuck up in one of those water passages you definitely it sounds if it's overheating on one side then you know, you've got a blockage somewhere in your cooling system that's not flowing properly. Yeah. Probably has to take the risers off, back off and then, you know, look down and put some water to it and push water through the cooling system to see if water's flowing freely out of there or if it's barely trickling out or, you know, start. That sounds like that could get kind of expensive because now you're talking about disassembling stuff to check and ensure that your cooling passages are clear because mm-hmm. that's the next step there. If you've already replaced your risers and your manifolds and all that, your exhaust manifolds and you know, one side's overheating, there's, there's a block in one of the water passages and it's not getting cooling water to that side mm-hmm. or not enough. Right. You know, it's just, it's not enough water flow to. Right. Also how hot is it running? Like how much hotter yeah. than the other side? Is it running? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, affecting? Is it throwing codes? Like, yeah, is it throwing an overheat alarm or what? Mm-hmm. Are, you know, how bad is it? How bad is it? Have any, has anybody taken a temp gun and, and actually, you know, mm-hmm. checked each cylinder? You know, like going, you know, on the on that manifold, they all, you know, the riser comes up and then the manifold comes out and each one has its own, you know, like channel. So, you know, going from one to the other and making sure, well, oh, the front half of the of the engine on the port side is getting hot, you know, 20 degrees hotter than the back half, then, oh, well, somewhere in here you've... Right. you got to start taking stuff apart and looking for blockage mm-hmm. in the in the water passages. Yeah, it's kind of it's hard to give a... I guess we can give suggestions, but it's kind of hard to give a diagnosis without. Yeah, no, we're not looking at something. You can't really diagnose something like that because no, no. you you have to do things. Mm-hmm. You know, you oh well, if it's doing this, then you need to go check this, this, and this. Well, and then before you can go beyond that, you've got to go do 
the X, Y, and Z. Well, next guy has a question on steering. Uh, I guess it's C-Star hydraulic steering. And he says, is it normal to have just a tiny bit of play? You mentioned quarter turn. I don't even think it's that much. But offshore, I noticed that in rough waters, the motors will move slightly back and forth on their own. Is any amount of that normal? If not, I'll re-bleed and check everything out again. Mm, yeah, um, to a point. Um, yeah, to, said- a, to a point, you can have some play on the engines, especially when you're going from loaded to unloaded on the back of the You know, you go over a wave in the back of the boat. These engines are in the water loaded, and you come off the back of a wave. They can shift a little bit, but mm-hmm. you want to make sure that those collars... So where the steering cylinder is and it hooks up to the engine, there's a little call, there's a collar on one side and spacers there. That collar screws out, which tightens mm-hmm. it tightens that cylinder to okay, the engine. Okay. You want to make sure that that's tight and not not you know allowing a shift there. Like physically look at that cylinder, make sure that it, the cylinder itself's not going back mechanically mm-hmm. compared to whether it's hydraulically you know yeah. shifting yeah because he says he's got not even a quarter turn of play i'm assuming after bleeding it and just mm-hmm. checking it you know stationary yeah so it doesn't seem like it's hydraulic play mm-hmm. but i have seen even from the factory like we went and uh inspected a 26 yellowfin that was i mean almost brand new had like 50 hours on the motors and um it was like a 2021 but it the the both the engines were were playing a little bit, mm-hmm. and it was because from the factory they didn't tighten down that collar that has the the little set screw in it. So yep, so yep. the whole the whole assembly the whole ram really was rocking was back and forth. rocking back and forth. Yeah. So yeah, was, you know yeah I I'd, I'd check that like you said, because um, you know if you've got less than a quarter turn of play after bleeding, then that's it's pretty pretty full. That's pretty full. Yeah. That's pretty good. You're gonna have a little bit of play in there, like I mean, because you're you're passing hydraulic fluid, mm-hmm. you know. Or, well, yeah. So you know you're turning this way, and it's making the fluid flow like this. And then when you go the other way, it reverses and goes back the other way. Mm-hmm. So there is a point in between going this way and this way where you turn this way and it's pushing. When you go back the other way, there's gonna be a little play before it starts moving that flow right back the other way so if you've got you know an eighth of a, an eighth of a turn of play it's that's pretty normal and the older the system the more you know wear and mm-hmm. play you're going to have too so he also did say it was in rough waters that they move slightly back and forth so you know anything really those motors are never perfectly stationary yeah. like if you're out there in rough waters then a lot of force yeah they'll be they'll be moving a little bit it, mm-hmm. it should be normal yeah you just don't want the whole engine going slamming back and yeah, forth no, you know? that's a, i think i think that wouldn't be a question on youtube you know you yeah. had a problem on that one yeah if it's just moving a tiny little bit check those collars to see if they're loose but, mm-hmm. but other than that you should be fine um and next one this guy says, I'm seeing a lot of bay boats swapping to dual 300s versus single 450s, saying performance is much better, but not sure how they measure performance. Now, back to that 26 yellowfin, 
that I that I went and looked at. It was you know twenty six foot bay boat with mm-hmm. twin, I think the Mercury V sixes, the two twenty fives, which are those are some bad motors. I mean, right? Great power to weight ratio and torquey little things, but it's just, it's I don't know because I haven't experienced too many uh, bay boats to know the performance differences but i remember the key or not the key the police boat from from the keys mm-hmm. having the twin i think it was the same boat 26 yellowfin with the twin v8s three the 300s and that yep. thing was a rocket ship yeah i mean i don't know having i guess double the torque because really the the v8s are torquey mm-hmm. having double the torque just pushes that thing so so quickly it got up on plane like that because you start getting into arguments about power versus weight and yeah twin 300s is 600 horse versus a single 450 and half the weight you know Mm -hmm. you're only you're only you're at half the weight and you're only missing out on 150 horse so what kind of performance are they talking about i feel like top speed you'll probably do better with the single 450 I mean, also the stress on the engine, it's kind of the old saying of no replacement for displacement. Mm-hmm. So if you got, you know, the single 450, you got eight cylinders, whereas twin 300s, you've got um, 16 cylinders. Right. So you've got a lot more power there. There's less individual load on the yeah. engines. Yeah. So It'll last longer. I mean, it's double the cost, though. It is double the cost. Service, so that's a downside. Um, but the 450s is also a supercharged engine, so you less know it's, reliable. it's making. I don't know about less reliable, but um, I mean. it it definitely you're you know you're adding a supercharger to get that that power over um, you know the naturally aspirated 300s. Mm-hmm. So I mean. It's kind of not even really in much of an argument, basically because I guess what I'm trying to say is that you're you've got two VAs with 16 cylinders compared to a single eight cylinder with same block. I mean, the 450's got the same cylinder bore as the V8s, doesn't it? I think it does. I think they're both what five I think five sevens. Five I can't threes? remember all the differences. It's got supercharger but i think the whole the valve train no i couldn't tell you the exact differences between the na's and the 450 yeah go ahead and google that up but i don't know it's also better i think having the twins because if one of them breaks down you know you've still got that other engine to get you back whereas if you got a single four point it's a 4.6 liter to four point six liter, mm-hmm. what's the what's the three hundred? Isn't it a four point six? Yeah, yeah, they're both four sixes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's the same motor. It's just slap a supercharger and change a couple of components around, like maybe injectors. Mm-hmm. But again, you're you're trying to you know you're going from you know sixteen four point six liter cylinders to eight four point six liter with a supercharger. So yeah, it's only it is 150 horsepower more. Obviously, I think you worded that wrong. 16 4.6 liter cylinders. 
Yeah. Two V8s, 16 cylinders. Right. But I'm sorry. The way you made it sound is like each oh. cylinder is 4.6 liters. <laughs> like, that's a... Yeah, yeah. That's a honker right there, dude. You got that motor on the back of your... <laughs> going to the moon. Yeah. Um, if it'll float. But, you know, and then comparing the V8 to the to the L6, or the... Um, the V6, the V6 is a 3.4. So, yeah, I was messed up because I was thinking about the V10 now, and the V10, I think, is a 5.3 in that um, the, mm-hmm. what's the 600? 6.7? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is a 6.7. Yeah, it's a, it's a 5.7 for the for the V10. You were thinking 5.3 for the Yamaha. Man, yeah, the Yamaha you're getting all mixed up around here, dude. There's too many engines, <laughs> dude. I can't keep them all straight, you know. The, and then the, what's the XTO? That's The five. XTO is a 5.7. No, 5.6. Five, 5.6. Six. Five, six. Oh, man. Too many different individual ones to remember. We'll see if you got that one right. Yeah. The, yeah, the 425 is a 5.6. The old 350s. V8 were five threes, mm-hmm. 200s a 2.8, the 150s a 1.7. Um, Mercury V6 is a 2.6, the V8 is a 4.3, the V4 is a 3.4. The 4.3, v- didn't we just say it was 4.6? Hmm? The V8 Mercury? <laughs> too, many. too many. I think we're getting off topic though, because he's asking. He's saying he's not not sure how they measure performance. They say it's the yeah, performance it is, is much six. better, but how are they measuring performance when it comes to dual three hundreds versus a single four? I don't know how they're how they're doing the performance because to me, I mean, obviously the the twin three hundreds, if the if the budget allows for that, I would always go for those because that single four fifty, you're it, it's it's the same concept in my mind. It's the same concept of these big boats that load up the back of the engine at uh, the back of the boat with the L6 Verado. You're talking about a 2.6 liter supercharged engine. Yeah, they make 350, 400 horsepower, but it's a small cylinder. Mm-hmm. Whereas these V8s and these V10s and these, you know, V12s and, and all that, you know, you're talking about a big cylinder. The displacement, you know, there's no replacement for displacement. So the bigger the displacement, the the more load you're going to be able to push mm-hmm. so without the stress. So, you know, these big, heavy 28,000-pound, 40-foot boat that you're pushing through the water with that, those little cylinders with the supercharger so you can get that horsepower up, it just doesn't work the same. I mean, you can do that in a car because a car doesn't weigh that much, and you got, you know, these Porsches and Lamborghinis, they got small cylinders because they're not moving a heavy load that's why you use diesels for weight. You know, you're, you want that power to be able to move that weight. Right. So, you know, if you, if you supercharge the engine to get the horsepower, that's fine up until a certain weight, you know, once you get so heavy, you're just bogging that motor down because it's going to produce all that horsepower, but it, it's it's still working harder. It's working to so, make that mm-hmm. horsepower. 
Well, it's, well, not that. It's working harder to move the weight. Right. It's trying to move more than it, you know, really should be. Whereas the two, you know, you add two three hundreds, that's a lot of power and displacement to push. You know, the twenty six foot boat, which it's mm-hmm. going to be able to handle that weight. It's going to there's right, going to be like there's no boat in front of it because it's just got so much power. I see what you mean. In terms of re- the reliability of the engines too, and mm-hmm. you know how how hard they're working, but you've also got double the weight. So how does that affect fuel consumption? Maybe performance. Well, at the same time, to go the same speed. So performance wise, if you're trying to go the same speed, let's say you're cruising at 35, 40 miles an hour, mm-hmm. um, that four fifty is going to be running a lot more RPM. So you're going to be burning a lot more fuel i mean obviously two engines are going to burn more or what if they mean performance is just outright top speed are the twins going to be faster than a single with double would, the weight i would imagine i mean you're adding drag because you're adding another lower unit and another prop in the water but at the same time your your engine's producing a lot more you can you can prop it a lot differently mm-hmm. so you I'd imagine you get way more top speed out of those twins, even though, you know, the singles is, is less drag. But you- so general consensus then is the twins, despite the cost being more, mm-hmm. is the better way to go for general performance for all around. Yeah, I'm going. Right? I'm going three hundreds. <laughs> I mean, it ain't my it ain't my pocket. You know, it's not my budget. So it, yeah, it, you yeah. Know. Um. If yeah. I had the budget, I would do the 300s over the single 450. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's move on from that. We've been talking about these for a little bit. Huh? That's all right. Um, but, yeah, let's talk about, where was it? Well, this guy has a few questions. Um, he says, question number one, I guess it's not really phrased as a question, decking options for all boats, uh, advantages to each. What are the advantages to different decking options? What are the different decking options? I mean, a personal preference and comfortability, I guess. You know, like, um, you know, what's the boat? I mean, if it's an offshore fishing boat, I mean, you don't really want carpet in there because, you know, you're picking up a, a fish that's going to be flopping around, slinging blood all over inside the boat. So you yeah. don't want carpet that's going to absorb and, you know, yeah, catch did, all that stuff. He did mention even carpet like bass boats. I don't know much about bass boats, but... Well, so bass so fishing is got, a little different. You're not, you know... They've got carpet on the floor? Yeah, most up? of them do. Okay. Most of them do. But, um, yeah, I, I I think carpet in the bass boat's good. Carpet in like... How is it different from an offshore? If it's... I mean, you're fishing, it's still going to get all... Well, off well, slimy and mm, slimy, yeah. But you're not, uh, you know, bloody. Are they not as bloody? Yeah, you're not going to be throwing as much blood and, and having. I mean, when you pull, you know, twenty five pound mahi in the boat and then put it on the deck, a thing starts flopping around, slinging blood everywhere. Right. So, you know, you want to be able to just run back there with the wash down, spray all that blood off, and get it washed out of the boat. Whereas, right. If you had carpet back there, which is what which would make sea deck kind of um, you know so popular because it doesn't absorb stuff, it stains, but it's you know a cushion under your feet, so it's not as rough on your feet. Mm-hmm. Whereas solid fiberglass is, 
yeah. rough, rough on your feet. Mm-hmm. So problem with Sea Deck is that it does wear over time, especially with the sun. It'll fade, and then also, um, you know, hooks and weights and stuff like that. It'll start to chip it up, and then you you know you'll get cuts in it. So it can look pretty ratty over if you use it a lot. I mean, it's pretty when it's brand new. Mm-hmm. So there's some advantages there. It's nice on your feet, and it looks good. And if you can keep it nice, it's it's nice. But if you use your boat a lot, like you know, fishing, um, it, it it'll get. You know, yeah, it's definitely gonna get tore up. Yeah, and it'll get it'll get pretty bloody. I mean, in wakeboard boats and ski boats stuff like that. I mean, you want carpet in those. Um, you know, pontoon boats. You probably carpet. want carpet. Yep, because you because you're just you're not fishing. You're not you know mm-hmm. you're you're not having blood and bait and stuff all in the boat. You're you know yeah eating, lounging, drinking, lounging, time. hanging yeah. out with your friends. Mm-hmm. Um you know barefoot most of the time so i'd go with you know you want carpet for the comfortability i'm not um he also um was wondering about salt versus freshwater maintenance he's he says i'm still replacing stuff on the bass boat from the florida salt <laughs> yeah <laughs> salt's rough you you can't really get away from it mhm Change your anodes regularly. Yep. Uh, Grease and salt well away. Salt away. Just, just be on top of it. Don't let it sit because salt will eat it, kill it. Yeah. CRC. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping things lubed and and using it. If you let it sit, it, even the salt air. Well, I mean, we come from the Keys. So it's a little bit different down there than it is. Other, but I mean, salt's corrosive because down there, just the air. You know, coming off the water, everything, you know, you're on an island, so everything's surrounded by the salt water. So even the air has just got yeah so much salt in it that if you let the boat sit, then it's just collecting and corroding and rusting. And yeah, yeah, you're going to be replacing that stuff for a long time. It's, it's, it's rough on it. There's no stopping it. Fresh water. That's, I mean, they're not as much maintenance required. Mm-hmm. Still probably, you know, you should take care of the boat wash it off but yeah but generally i've never seen any corrosion issues on a freshwater mm-hmm. boat yeah you can wax a boat twice a year in fresh water and and it's you know good mm-hmm. i mean a lot of places down like you know salt water you can wax a boat and need to wax it again in two months yeah <laughs> yeah just it just tear it just peels it off um boat buying in the crazy industry lately, rates suck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. It's, yeah. What do, you, what do you think about the industry lately? I think it's starting to cool down finally. I mean, I think the massive inflation that people are finally feeling in their wallet mm-hmm. is, you know, bringing to realization that. You, know, you just can't print money like like that and yeah um no the the interest rates they're trying to the dollars i mean that's a whole topic of in and of itself the right. industry prices have gone so high that it's i really don't have an opinion on it you know where things have gone up five six 
$7,000 for parts. You know, you could you used to be able to buy a power head for just the, just the numbers. I mean, an L6 power head you can get for like 10 grand. Now, if you want an L6 brand, you know, you're talking 17,000. Mm. Like they're it's crazy. Yeah. Um Yeah, that's just too much of a topic to get into. It's Mhm. That's pretty a, much yeah, it's that's a it's, whole so what is our next question? We got one. Uh, he says, how do I apply for Yamaha and Mercury from Jamaica? Is it even possible? Um, well, hopefully it's possible. I'd say it's the same process anywhere in the world, really. You just look for a dealer of, mm-hmm. of that particular brand or both and um, get hired. yeah that's that's about the process i don't know uh, yeah if you're trying to get like in with a brand like i'm assuming he's talking about being a mechanic or something like that like you know how do i get to right you know work with these engines and these brands then yeah you gotta you gotta get in with a dealer i mean for the most part um, yeah, that's if you want to, you know, be able to go to school and they can, they can send you off for training and stuff. Yep. Um, have access to their, to their software, mm-hmm. um, literature, all that stuff. Yeah. Service bulletins, service manuals, all that stuff. Yeah. You gotta kind of get linked up with a dealer and, and yeah. Yeah. yeah no, you gotta, that's, it's pretty much as simple as that. Just, mm-hmm. just finding a dealer, get hired and. And there you are. You've applied for Yamaha slash Mercury. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it is possible in Jamaica. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't I'd know. imagine there's a dealer of some sort down there. I don't know. There's got to be. There's, there's boats. There's Yamahas mm-hmm. and Mercury's. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so there's got to be some sort of a, mm-hmm. a shop, you know. Yeah. That's in that industry. Because, I, yeah, I don't know. I've never, I've mm-hmm. never been in Jamaica either. So um, I have. It's a pretty cool place. Yeah. Yeah, just you know, cruise ship like oh, yeah. visiting the port or whatever. But yep. but you know, I don't remember seeing any dealers around. Probably, <laughs> they, probably, they probably don't want it around that area. Yeah, like, this is for tourism. Yeah, this this is where the Americans go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I I think that's that's all the time we had for today. We've is been it? talking for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. How long? Oh yeah, we got about an hour in. So, um. All right, yeah. If anybody has any more questions or you want to know um, or have a discussion that you want us to cover, if we missed your you know, topic or whatever, your comment or question, then we're sorry. But we, you know, we just kind of pack them up as much as we can and then try and cover as much of them as we can. So mm-hmm. hopefully we'll get to it next week. Or if not, just ask us again in the comments or email us at askbab at bornagainboating.com. And we'll try and cover as many comments and topics as we can. Mm-hmm. Maybe get some guests on here and keep uh, keep bringing more content and trying to interact with you guys. All right. I think that'll do it.